We started a series a couple of weeks ago on the glory of the Lord. And uh, uh, the, if, uh, if you were with us when we began the first Sunday morning, uh, we read just a bunch of scriptures, certainly not all of them, but a lot of scriptures from, uh, primarily from the Old Testament, some from the New as well, but primarily from the Old Testament describing the glory of God and so, talking about different things that the, that the Bible says about the glory of God and its appearing. And uh, we want to continue along those lines. I don't know if I'm going to read uh, a bunch of scriptures. I, I kind of intended to last, uh, last Sunday, but with the uh, special guest and some different things, uh, special things that we were doing, I really didn't take time to do it. Um, I like to do it. I've uh, been doing it daily for uh, a number of weeks. I, I just like to remind myself of what the Bible says about the glory of God. I, the more um, the Bible says... So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The more you hear what the Bible says about something, the more your faith grows in that area. And uh, I'm not sure if I'll take the time to do it this morning. It's, uh, it's right at 10 o'clock now. The kids don't leave till 1, so I should have plenty of time. <laughs> See, if I make you think I'm going to preach for three hours, then however long I go, you'll think I did better than that. Anyway, Haggai chapter 2, <clears throat> beginning in verse 7. God is speaking through the prophet, and he said, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, a little bit of context, before we go any further, a little bit of context is, uh, is appropriate here, I believe. <clears throat> At the time that God speaks this to the prophet, the second temple is being rebuilt. The first temple was Solomon's temple. It was destroyed when Israel disobeyed the Lord, uh, primarily in, uh, in the days of Solomon's son. And, uh, and the kingdom of Israel was split in two. And um, uh, the northern kingdom was uh, defeated by the Babylonians. Uh, well, actually, I guess it was the Assyrians first that came in. And, um, uh, and uh, destroyed the temple. They took away all the elements of the temple, took all the gold out of the temple and so forth. And so after many, many years of captivity, now Israel is, is uh, going back into its own homeland to rebuild the temple. So we could... Assume, I mean, on the surface, it looks like God is saying, now when you rebuild the second temple, it's going to be even better than the first one. But we know that that wasn't the case. We know that uh, when the second temple was finished and dedicated, there were those who were uh, older, much older, uh, but were, uh, had still seen the first temple dedicated, had still witnessed the, the first temple and, and seen some of the things that took place before it was destroyed. And they wept. Because they said the second temple was nothing in comparison to the first. Well, then where it says, it goes further to say the glory of the latter house, the glory of the, 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 what we might assume to be the second temple would be greater than the first. That wasn't true. So that can't be what he's talking about then. The third temple was built. There was a third temple that was built, and it was built by Herod. Now, Herod was a political ruler and a political appointee of the Romans, for the purpose of keeping the Jews in line. He was a Jew himself, but, um, but the Romans put him in, in charge of uh, the area of Judea, specifically Jerusalem and the outlying areas, for the purpose of keeping the Jews in line. They had the, the idea that, that a Jew would be able to control his own people type stuff. And so he built a temple, but the temple was not built for the glory of God. He wasn't a, a worshiper of God himself. He wasn't a keeper of the law. He built it for his own glory. He was known, even in history now, he was known as Herod the Builder because he built not only the, the temple, he did that to appease the Jews primarily, make them happy. But Jesus wasn't impressed with that temple either. The Bible tells us that in Jesus' day, as they walked through the temple, the disciples looked, at, looked around at the building and said, have you ever, Jesus, have you ever seen anything this pretty? And Jesus kind of scoffed at it. 
He said the day is coming where there's not one stone going to be left upon another in this place. In other words, he's saying, I'm not really too much into this thing because it wasn't built for God's glory. It was built for Herod's glory. So if he's not talking about the second temple, and if he's not talking about Herod's temple, those are the only, Solomon's, the second temple and Herod's temple were the only three that Israel had. Then what is he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about just as the Old Testament temple or house of God was a type of the church, he's saying the glory of the church will be greater than even the first temple. And the first temple is the only one we have record of that had any glory upon it at all. Uh, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, uh, the priesthood and the, the Pharisees and the, the rulers of the temple, they're just a political arm. They're just trying to control the people through their own traditions and things like that. That's why Jesus had more trouble with the, with the religious folks, the religious leaders, than anybody else. The common person, the Bible says, the common man received him gladly. They came to him gladly. They, they were willing to hear what he had to say. They wanted to know. They wanted to hear him preach. They wanted to hear what he had to say about the kingdom of God. But it was always the religious leaders that were trying to control him and trying to conform him to make them look good. And Jesus wouldn't have any part of it. Only people Jesus ever called names were the religious folks. He called them hypocrites. He called them uh, whited sepulchers. He called, said they were of their father, the devil. Jesus was nice to everybody except the religious people. That might be a warning today. I, you know, you decide for yourself. So here where it's talking about the glory of this house, he's talking about the glory of the church. And in fact, he makes reference to certain things where he says, I will shake all nations. That has to do with the end times, the end of time, not the second temple. He says, and the desire of all nations shall come. That has to do with the earth groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, the rapture. These are end time events that, he, that are being referenced here. So he says, I will shake all nations. Anybody see anything shaken today? I don't know of a nation that's not being shaken today. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. He's talking about the rapture. We're close to the rapture. The Bible's telling us when you see nations starting to shake, which we see today, you're close to the end. You know, that used to frighten me. I didn't want the end to come. I'm ready for it to come now. So I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord. He's talking about the church. Then he says in verse 8, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now why in the world would he attach silver and gold to glory? The church does just the opposite. The church, and I'm speaking of, by and large, the religious church, what we know of as the Western church, the modern day church. And, and by the way, folks, you need to understand the rest of the world is just about completely opposite from America. When Brother um, uh, John Romick was here last week, he made a point, but he made it late and he was really concerned that he didn't make the point sufficiently. You look at all the, the church growth um, numbers and statistics and things like that. In everywhere but America, the churches that are growing are the churches that have the power of God. In America, it's just the opposite. In America, we're dignified. We don't want any of that Holy Ghost stuff. We just want social gatherings. But the rest of the world, the only part of the church that's growing are those that are displaying the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the Pentecostal part of the church. I believe some of that's going to change here in America. I believe things are going to get worse and worse. I, I
Okay, let me just say it like this. I'm not looking for a political party to save America. I don't believe where we are on God's timeline, I don't believe a political party can save America. No matter, you may say, well, which political party are you talking about? I'm talking about all of them. Now, I've got my preferences, but I don't think any of them can save America. I know one is of the devil. But I've got to tell you, even in that, it doesn't bother me if they win. Because the worse things get, the bigger, dis, dis, uh, the bigger difference it will show between the things of God and the things of the world. So I'm not praying against anybody to lose or praying for anybody to lose. I'm not praying, uh, I'm not praying where politics are concerned. I'm praying for the church to wake up. I believe this next election is the most important election that we will have ever seen in this country. But you know why I believe that? I believe it's important for the church, not for politics. I believe it's more important for the Christians to stand up and say, here's what I stand for. Because whether you know it or not, we're going to have to answer for that when we get to heaven. No political leader can win anything unless he has the approval of the church. Every demographic you can slice and dice every way you want to do it. Nobody could win dog catcher unless the Christians vote him in. Because the Christians, by and large, outnumber every other group there is. Now, I know they try to talk about the blacks versus the whites and the independents versus the, the conservatives and the liberals and all this other kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. You group the church together, the church could pick and choose its own people. But the church won't vote together. Isn't it interesting that the devil tries to keep the Christians separated and divided? Wonder why that is. Well, the Bible says he's the one that's ruling the world. It's the only way he can get his guy in. Even in America. That's true anywhere else democracy is, which isn't a whole lot of places. Anyway, the Bible's talking about the glory of the church being greater than of the, even the first and the early temple. And he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. That says to me, now, you decide for yourself. I'm not asking you to believe whatever I say about this. But that says to me that there is something about the end times and provision. There is something about God's provision regarding the end time glory that this is referring to that we need to be aware of. I've got, a, I've got things in my heart that are bigger now than they ever have been. I've got things in my heart that are going to cost more money than anything I've ever had in my heart. Well, why would you have that, Pastor Mike? seems like this would be the time we'd be hunkering down, saving all you get, being careful about where you put it and whatever. Because the silver and the gold is God's. Now, that doesn't mean he's controlling all of it, but he's the creator of it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It's his. He created it. Now, it's obviously in the hands of the devil by and large. But this indicates to me that there might be some kind of shift. If the silver and the gold is connected with the glory, and the Bible talks about glory in the last days, then there's got to be something that happens. Now, I'm not going to stand here and speculate what that's going to be. I really don't care how it works. doesn't matter to me as long as it works. So, in connection with glory, he said, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. Verse 9, 
the glory of this latter house. Again, he's got to be talking about the church. Can't be talking about the second temple. Can't be talking about Herod's temple. Those are the only other two temples there were. So then the latter house he's talking about has got to be the church. The Bible says, the mystery of the ages is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of this latter house, the glory of the church, in other words, shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now turn back with me to Second Chronicles chapter 5. Second Chronicles chapter 5 tells us the story of when Solomon's temple was dedicated. It was the only temple that we see the glory of God on. The glory of God was not on the second temple. The glory of God was not on Herod's temple. So of the three temples of it that Israel had, there's only one temple. Now that does not, of course, include the sanctuary, the tabernacle of the, the wilderness that Moses was instructed to build. We know the glory of God was on that. But everybody knew that was just a temporary place until Israel came into the promised land. The glory of God was on the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then that glory moved on to Solomon's temple when it was dedicated. Now in Second Chronicles chapter 5, and, and, you know, if we use this as a type of the church, there are some interesting characteristics, interesting parallels about uh, Solomon's temple as well as the church. And that is, David was not allowed to build the temple because he was a man of war. David was the one that had to defeat the enemies. He had to defeat the Philistines. He had to defeat the Amalekites. He had to defeat some of the others. And he wanted to build God a temple. He was the king of Israel. And God said, no, you can't build it. You're my fighter. But he said, your son will build it. He will be a man of peace. Well, Solomon had the greatest army that Israel ever had, then or now. And the reason Solomon was a man of peace was because David won the battles. Folks, you need to understand this from a spiritual standpoint. Peace comes. The Bible says Jesus has made peace unto us. Peace comes as a result of winning victories, not as a result of compromise or appeasement. You can't compromise with the devil in your personal life and expect to have peace. A lot of people try. A lot of people compromise when it comes to church. A lot of people compromise when it comes to believe in the Word. A lot of people compromise thinking, well, the devil will leave me alone if I just don't get radical about this stuff. Okay. I'm sure glad Jesus didn't take that attitude when he went to the cross. Jesus gave everything he had. And he demands everything we have too. Now whether you do that, whether you fulfill that is up to you. But you're not going to find peace if you don't. I remember hearing the story of uh, R.W. Shambach. You remember Brother Shambach? He's just recently gone home to be with the Lord. He was a fireball preacher. Evangelist through and through. Well, when he was a young man, God called him to the ministry and he didn't want to go. So he joined the army. Well, when he joined the army, they sent him to Japan. I, I say the army, I think he was in the Navy, if I remember correctly. And anyway, they shipped him out over to Japan. He set foot on, J on the mainland of Japan and said, Oh, no, God's here too. <laughs> he thought he was running away from God. Folks, you can't run away from God. You'll never have peace if you're running away from God. You might as well surrender and get in now. Surrender today. Avoid the rush. Because a lot of people are going to wait right till the end. And then they're going to try to surrender. And they're going to be caught without. They're going to be caught without the knowledge of the truth. They're going to be caught without some of the blessings of God. 
You can't find peace running from God. You can't find peace compromising with the devil. You can only find peace by winning the battles that the enemy throws up in front of you. So Solomon dedicates the temple. Now, he went to great, great, great difficulty in, in the way he had to do this temple. He didn't want this temple. We don't have any record that God ever said do it this way. But, but uh, Solomon w- thought this was so precious. He, his dad had instilled this in him. His father David had instilled this in him to such a degree. He didn't want the sound of a hammer made in the temple. So he would have everything constructed off-site. And then it was put together, pieced together, like we would think of Legos or something like that, in such a specific and such a detailed manner that it came together rather quickly. Now... A couple of things about this are interesting to me. Number one, if da- when David found out he wasn't going to be able to build it, he started saving money for it. So when the time came for Solomon to build it, David had already brought his offering and, his, and other people, the captains in his army, had followed the, uh, his example and brought their offerings too. And if you compute the offering that they gave in modern day dollars, they were in the trillions of dollars. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God provided the money for it. And when the time for the construction and the dedication of the temple was, uh, came, when that time uh, came forth, all of a sudden things that had been off-site came together in a very, very short period of time. I believe God's going to do a quick work in the last days too. I believe those are examples to us of the way God works. And not only that, but it tells us that, that Solomon made such a big deal about it that everybody was on board with this thing. Everybody was on board. So here's the dedication of the temple. Second, Second Chronicles chapter 5. Start reading in verse 11. And it said, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified, and then did not wait by course. In other words, the priests were, had shifts. And certain ones would do certain things at certain times, but now everybody's working together. This is a special day, so everybody's working together. Everybody's on duty. Everybody is, is in here together working hand in hand, which was unusual. Also, verse 12, also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jedithan, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests, sounding with trumpets. And it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one. Now, please notice that. Were as one. Were as one. This has got to mean something other than singing the same song. If folks, if singing the same song brought the glory of God, then every time we sang the same song, we'd see the glory of God. It's got to mean something more than that. It says, when they were as one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Now, the Bible tells us certain things, and, and we read through some of these scriptures a couple of weeks ago. Um, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to get the, um, uh, get the tape, the MP3, CD, whatever works for you. And, uh, and if, for no other reason, just to hear some of the Old Testament scriptures, some of the things that the Bible has to say. Make notes of those things. Study them for yourself. Read through these things yourself, because you'll find over and over and over again, the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord as being the cloud. It talks about the brightness of it. It talks about the, the shining forth of the glory of God. It talks about in, in one place it says that it was like smoke. 
And then another thing that I want you to see here is it talks about when they were in one accord. The New Testament speaks of the glory of God coming as a result of the church being in one accord. Now, again, that's got to mean something more than all in the same place together. It's got to mean something more than singing together, singing the same song, everybody on harmony or pitch or whatever. You can tell what I know about music. It's got to mean something more than the natural part of that. It has to be something that comes from the inside. One of the things that's always interested me is in Genesis chapter 6 where it tells the story of the Tower of Babel, or Babel, however you say it. It speaks of God coming down to see what they were going to do. They were going to build a tower that stretches into heaven. And the Bible says God looked down and said, Behold, the people are as one. They are as one. They are all of the same purpose and all of the same speech. And then God said, Now nothing will be denied from them whatever they plan or imagine to do. Now folks, what they were planning to do was not according to the will of God. But here's God saying, if people get in the same purpose, if they get of the same mind, the same purpose, and they say the same thing, nothing can stop them. If that's true for things contrary to the will of God, how much more true would that be if we were operating in the will of God? You can very easily see why the devil tries to divide the church. If he can keep the church from being united, if he can keep it from being of the same purpose and of the same speech. Paul said in writing to the Corinthians, he said, I wish that you would say the same thing. You can't even get the church to agree whether or not we should confess the word. That's one of the biggest controversies in the, in the body of Christ today. All those name it and claim it people, those faith people, those word faith people, whatever they want to call us. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just doing what Jesus said do. So you can attach any label you want to on that. But why does the church argue against whether or not we should confess the word? Folks, that's supernatural. That's a supernatural work of the devil to keep the church from going forward. Because if you don't confess the word, God has nothing to honor or, or bring to pass in your life. The unchanging law that began in the Old Testament, even before then, but God revealed, them to it, revealed it to them in the Old Testament. He said, this is the way it's going to be. This is the unchanging law of God. This is the way it will work throughout eternity. You better learn to walk by faith here because you're going to need it in heaven. It doesn't say this will work for as long as the earth is here. It says it will work this way throughout eternity. I will deal with you according to the words that you have spoken in my ears. That's what God said. Why does the church say otherwise? There's something about being united that brings the glory of God. That, in my opinion, is why we see the glory of God manifest more in healing school than we do any other services. Because everybody knows what we're coming for. We're not just showing up at the same place at the same time. We're not just singing the same song on the same key or whatever the case might be. We know what our purpose is. And folks, that is the very reason why I'm teaching on the glory of God. I want you to know what the purpose of coming to church is. Your purpose may be just to satisfy your conscience. Some people's purpose may be to come and meet somebody that they can do business with. Somebody else's purpose may be for, uh, you know, well, I've got friends there. None of those may be wrong things. But none of those bring the glory of God. My purpose is to see God move every time we come.
That's the only reason I come. Listen, if I'm looking for somewhere to talk, I don't have to come here. I can't go home, but... But there are other places I could go. We need to be of the same purpose. Well, what is that purpose? Why do people go to church? You tell me, why do the majority of people that are in church today, right now, throughout America, why are they there? I would suggest that the percentage that has anything to do with the glory of God would be so small it might not even register. But if not that, then what? You know how many people around the country are amazed that we have a Sunday night service? Just have one. Do you know how uncommon that is nowadays? Why wouldn't we have one? Why wouldn't we go to church as much as we can? Thank you. (laughs) Better stick with that. That's something she agrees with. Why wouldn't we go? What else are you going to do? Used to be that people wouldn't go to church because they stayed home to watch Bonanza. Well, now you've got a DVR. You can tape anything you might miss. What's the problem or the excuse now? Oh, here's my favorite. Sunny nights are our family time. Yeah. Why wouldn't we go? <laughs> We've got an 18-year-old son. He doesn't like to go to church so much right now. He's in one of those run-from-God places. Don't worry, he'll never hear this. <laughs> he started saying a couple of years ago, he said, I don't understand why we have to go to church three times a week. Well, actually, it's four times when he got into youth. I don't understand why we have to go to church four times a week. Well, what else are you going to do, son? What else you got going on? What's more important than that? Well... It's not my fault you're a pastor of a church. No, it's not. But you need to understand something, son. We'd go to church every time we had the opportunity, even if I didn't pastor. Folks, I don't go to church all the time, all the time because I pastor. I go to church all the time because that's where God is. Why wouldn't we go? You know, the Bible says, uh, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, you remember Stephen was the first martyr? He's brought before the Jewish leaders and, and they make accusation against him. One of the first things that, they, that uh, Stephen said in his defense, he, he ended up, when they began to stone him, he, the heavens opened and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I see him in glory. Well, one of the first things that uh, Stephen started to say was that God was the God of glory. There's a verse of Scripture, I think it's Psalm 73, about verse 24, something like that. It said, Thou wilt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards receive me into glory. Folks, you need to understand, heaven is the glory realm. 
Heaven is the glory realm. And the Bible says that meeting certain conditions, most of them having to do with the word, we could have days of heaven on the earth. Well, if heaven is the glory realm, wouldn't that be days of glory here on the earth? Wouldn't that be a promise for us to see his glory while we're here? Stephen said that God had appeared unto Abraham. The God of glory had appeared unto Abraham. Look with me to Genesis chapter 15. Let me show you something about this. How did God appear to Abraham? Paul said in Galatians, he said that God preached the gospel to Abraham. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I can't imagine that, that the Holy Ghost could reveal to Paul that God preached the gospel to Abraham unless God said something to him about offering his son as a sacrifice for mankind. I mean, how could anything else that he said be considered the gospel if it doesn't include that? You see where I'm coming from? If that was the case, then that makes sense to me why Abraham would be so willing to offer his son Isaac on the altar and expect him to be raised from the dead. Faith begins where the will of God is known. What would be the basis for Abraham's willingness to offer Isaac on the altar unless he had some knowledge of God's plan? And Paul says that he had. Paul said that, that God preached the gospel to him. Notice in Genesis 15, God has appeared to him before and made the promise of making him the father of nations and so forth. Abraham said, here's a, a place where Abraham says, well, how will I know? God says, I like how God begins this in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Now notice how it says it. The word of the Lord came in a vision. The word of the Lord came in a vision. He had a vision and he heard God. Keep that in mind. And what did the Lord say? He said, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The word shield means um, uh, protection. It literally means to be thick-skinned like an alligator. And then it was where it says, I am your exceeding great reward. It literally means I am your vehemently increasing payment. I love that. Vehemently increasing payment. Some people say, well, what does it pay to serve God? <laughs> Are you kidding? He is your shield and your exceedingly, or your vehemently increasing payment. Abraham talks to him and he says, um, uh, Lord, you, you said that I'm uh, in your favor and so forth, but how, what sign will I, uh, do I have? How will I know? That you're going to give me a child. How will I know this, that, and the other? It says that God makes the covenant of circumcision with him. And I want you to see what it says. God gives him instruction. Um, oh, I don't want to read the whole thing. But it says, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll summarize it. He tells Abraham to take certain animals, cut them in half, divide them, shed the blood there, cut them in half. And uh, then it says a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. Now, that's a real hard translation. Because there's no, there's no real explanation of what's going on a deep sleep if abraham is asleep then he can't be seeing what's going on it doesn't tell us that it's a vision it tells us in verse one that he had a vision and heard the word of the lord so it wouldn't make sense for him to have a uh, be asleep and have a vision and it not tell us about it here it wouldn't be consistent so the deep sleep is kind of different uh, or difficult for a translation but at any rate whatever happened it says that the, it, it would in, indicate to us that abraham's state or condition changed in some manner and then it says that, um, uh, verse 17, notice this, 
God tells him some things that are going to happen. 400 years or down the road, this is going to happen. The Amorites and, and uh, taken into bondage and different things like that. And then it says in verse 17, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. Now, another translation, the margin of my Bible says, instead of burning lamp, it says flaming torch. If you look at smoking furnace, look up those words in the Hebrew, you'll find out that it literally means a vaporous glistening. Well, that sounds like what the Bible tells us about the glory of God, doesn't it? The brightness, cloud, smoke. In other words, it's telling us that when God appeared to Abraham, he appeared in glory. Over and over again, the Bible says that there was a cloud and the Lord appeared in the midst of the cloud. Or the brightness of the Lord appeared in the midst of the cloud. That's the same thing that happened with Abraham here. When... um, uh, in March of 1986, our church was just a little over uh, two months old. There were, uh, there were some things that were taking place. There were some things that I was considering with the church. We only had 15, maybe 20 people at a Sunday morning service in, uh, in the, on that particular day. And uh, we were meeting over at uh, the school building in Mission Viejo where we started, Castile Elementary School. And uh, um, I was teaching on faith. And there was something that was strange, and, and there was a little, I don't know if any of you were, were there, well, I know some of you were there, but if you remember the layout, they had a stage that we didn't use, and we just kind of had a, um, some chairs set down on the floor. So the stage would be behind me, and so I kind of leaned up against the stage, kind of sat up on the edge of the stage, and I could tell something was really strange. Now, folks, I've passed out before, and I've gotten dizzy before, I know what that is. And it wasn't that, but I could feel something was letting go on the inside of me. I don't know how to describe it any other way than that, but there was something that was letting go. I wasn't dizzy. I I wasn't sick in any way, but I could feel something was letting go. And um, I've had that that same sensation several times uh, over the years since then, and and it, it always has a spiritual context. But at that point in time, I hadn't experienced it, so I didn't know what was going on. So I told the people. I said something about it. I said, folks, there's something really different going on here. I recognized that it was God. I knew it wasn't physical, so I recognized it was God. So I said something about it. I said, let's just pray for a moment. And so we did. Well, the next thing I know, I'm standing before Jesus. Now, for the people that were there, they saw me fall off that platform and hit face down on the floor. When I came to, there were people gathered around. People thought that I'd fainted or, or whatever. But I was caught away into the presence of the Lord. Now, it's been 26, a uh, little over 26 years ago that that happened. And I've, I've shared just very, very little about this. Uh, I've, uh, and what part of it I have shared, I shared what the Lord told me. The Lord told me the, the purpose of our church. And I was thinking of changing to try to be like somebody else, trying to do some programs or do some things the way other people did. And, and, uh, and, and maybe that had something to do with the timing of this. But the Lord told me, he said that, uh, that the purpose of our church was to establish the church. He said, your job, I sent you here to establish the church on the development of the human spirit. So no matter whatever we teach on, we wind up coming back to the spiritual development in some way or another. I can't get away from it. It's our tagline, building strong spirits, build lives. It's what we do. If I try to do anything else, I waste my time because that's what I'm sent here to do. But there's another part of it that I never really have, have said much about. And that is, I was in a cloud. 
And it was the brightest thing that I'd ever seen. And when Jesus was standing before it, I've had some people say, what did he look like? I really can't tell you. He was shining. I could make out his form, but he was shining. And this cloud that I was in was brighter than anything I've ever experienced before or since. I, I've, uh, I had heard many times before then, I had heard Brother Hagin explain or, or relate to his own experience. And I, I shared some of this a couple of weeks ago, I think, as well, about when he was um, uh, on the, the sickbed. There were several times, a couple of different times where Brother Hagin said his body left, or his spirit left his body. The first time, he wasn't saved, and he went down to the gates of hell. That story was related to Brother Hagin's little book, I Went to Hell, tells uh, tell what happened in, in that that story. Well, this happened three different times, one right after the other. The third time up, he started crying out to the Lord uh, to make Jesus the Lord of his life. He said when his spirit slipped back into his body on that third time, his voice caught up what he was saying, and he was confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that's how he got saved. But then later on, a couple of months later on, he's still tied to the sickbed. The doctor said it would be a deathbed for him, and his body, his spirit left his body again. And he got, uh, got caught up, and that was the, he said the glory of the Lord filled the room, and, and uh, his mother and grandmother related from their side of the story how the room was filled with a cloud and they couldn't get in, and some different things like that, just very similar to what the Bible talks about in the Old Testament. And uh, he said that as his spirit began to leave his body, he got up to about where the ceiling was, and, uh, and he heard a voice, a man's voice, saying, go back. Go back, go back to the earth. Your work's not done. So when uh, he got his spirit slipped back into his body, and his, uh, at that time, that's when the glory lifted, and his mother came in was holding his hand, and he told his mother, he said, I'm not going to die now. Well, Brother Hagin talked about that experience from time to time uh, during the times that I was working with him and, and, um, and around, and, uh, and he, he related something about that. He said, I, um, I, I have a hard time. From that point forward, he said, I've always had a hard time feeling sorry for people that, that went home to be with the Lord. He said, the Bible talks about it being gain. He said, I understand the loss of the loved one. I understand feeling sorry for the people that are left and, and feeling bad for our, from our standpoint because we're the ones that have suffered loss. He said, but the people that have left, he said, they haven't lost anything. And he said, they wouldn't, leave, they wouldn't come back if they could. Well, I always heard that, and, and I could mentally understand that. But when, I, when the Lord appeared to me that day, and I was, I was in the presence of the Lord, that took on, a whole, took on a whole new meaning for me. Because there's, there's two things that, that there aren't words to describe. One is the peace that comes from being in the presence of Jesus. There is such a peace. I understand what Brother Hagin meant when he said people wouldn't come back if they could. If they had the choice, they wouldn't come back. There is such a peace there. It, it's, it, there's nothing I've ever been able to describe or, or relate it to. It's indescribable. I understand what Paul said when he said he was caught up into heaven and, and heard things that, he, that King James says were not lawful to utter. Literally what it means is I don't have any words to describe it. There's no way to describe the peace when you're in the presence of Jesus like that. And the second part of it is there is such a pull, there is such an attraction. I think that's what happens when people, when people, the time to come, when someone's time comes for them to go home to be with the Lord. I think that pull is what draws their spirit toward heaven. The Bible talks about when we get to heaven, and thank God we're going. The Bible talks about when we get to heaven. 
It says that we will be around the throne of God consistently. Well, why is that? Nobody's going to want to leave. There is such an attraction. There is such a, and I don't know how to describe it other than tell you it's a spiritual attraction. There is such a spiritual attraction to being in the presence of the Lord. There's nothing else that can describe it. The person that you love most on the earth and as much as you want to be around them, as much as you as a parent love your children or whatever, there's nothing like that attraction. Nothing. Too many times funeral services are about what we've lost because somebody has left us. They ought to be gain services. Because no matter what the condition is that somebody left, no matter what their age was, no matter what the circumstances was that they left, they gained. But it's hard for us to focus on that when we're in the middle of hurting like we are over the loss of loved one many times. So there was this, there was this cloud. There was this bright cloud. And Jesus was there and Jesus told, us some th- told me some things. He told me some things about the purpose for the church. He told me some things about people he had joined me together with. He mentioned some people that, uh, that had specifically had a part in giving me what I need for, uh, uh, to establish the church on the development of the human spirit. He didn't say build the church. Thank God it's not my job to build the church. Jesus said he had built it. He said that in Matthew chapter 16, I believe it is. He said he'd build the church, but it is my job to establish the church. I choose what we establish it on. And whether or not that's according to the plan and the purpose of God depends on whether or not it's going to be successful. That's why you find churches with different purposes. Some work and some don't. Some people just come up with a purpose that they think is, is the right thing, but they don't find out the will of God or the plan of God for that work. And so it doesn't work. Some churches start off with church splits. Have you ever seen a church start, be successful that started off with a church split? They're really rare. You know why? Because the Bible says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's hard to get God's blessing on something that starts in the flesh. Now I shared with you a little bit last, uh, last Sunday. I think it was last Sunday about uh, one particular time, and, and this happens not infrequently. I don't know what word to use, but it's not an infrequent thing in healing school that we'll see the glory of God come in. I shared with you about, uh, about the, the, a German gentleman that uh, has been with us. The glory of God came into the service. I said something about it. He stuck his hand up in, in, uh, to reach up into the glory of God and received healing from uh, a prostate cancer situation the doctor said they couldn't do anything about he went but wound up going back to the doctors the most difficult part was for him was the test that they put him through trying to find what was no longer there and he came back and related the story but lest i leave the wrong wrong impression i don't want you to think that's the only way people get healed after the service last sunday morning i met a, a lady by the name of linda from oceanside she came up after the service and she said pastor micah i, I was here uh, about two years ago, a little over two years ago, she said, I found you on TV uh, about a year before that. And she said, I began to listen to you on TV. I began to hear some things, and that uh, sent me to your website, and I listened to some of your healing school services and some of the teachings that, uh, that were on the website. She said, the doctors diagnosed me as having cancer. And, and the doctor said that he was going to have to operate, and he was scheduled for the operation. She said, I came to your church about two years ago. She said, I came up after a service, and she said, I told you what the situation was, and you laid hands on me, you cursed the cancer, and you said, that's it. 
go ahead and have your surgery, but they won't find anything. She said, I went back to the doctor. She said, they went and she said they did a biopsy on something. She said, but it wasn't cancerous. They couldn't find it. She said, they sent me through two days worth of tests trying to find what was no longer there. Well, folks, I don't mean this in any disrespect, and I hope nobody takes offense at this. I hope Linda doesn't take offense at this, but I don't remember praying for her. There was no glory of God. There was no presence of God. There was no appearance of anything. It was just the Word of God. I don't remember telling her that that's it. They won't find anything. I guess I was inspired by the Holy Ghost to do it, but I don't remember it. So it's not the only way that the Lord moves. It's not the only way that the Lord works. But he does say that he's going to do some things with his glory in the last days. Now let me tell you another example, another, another situation that happened. This was about three years ago. I was ministering in the service, Sunday morning service, regular Sunday morning service. And, um, and all of a sudden I, I recognized that I was in the cloud. I didn't, many times I see it, it starts to come in, sometimes it gets stronger. And, um, uh, and, and, and most often in healing school, if we start worshiping God, it'll get stronger. If I see it as a little mist or a, a, a light fog, if, if I can get the people worshiping God for a little bit, then it'll get stronger and stronger and stronger. The more we get united in a, uh, focusing our attention on Him and not ourselves and not what we're doing, that's when it gets greater and stronger. I've heard Brother Hagen talk about, and he used to talk to the, to the crew quite, quite frequently, the singers particularly, and say, now you've got to be sensitive to the things of God. He said, if you come in and sing the wrong song, he said, the, the anointing, the healing power, the presence of God will, will fly away like a bird. He said, you can chase it off. Well, the right thing brings it in in greater strength. The wrong thing chases it away. There have been many times where I've wished that I could play the piano. There have been even a couple of different times where I even tried to learn. And I realized that would do nothing but just chase the presence of God away. <laughs> Didn't take long to figure that out. And then I've also seen people that try to do it. They think, well, I can play. And so when they hear, sometimes it's been me, sometimes it's been Brother Hagen, they'll hear somebody say, the presence of the Lord is here, or the glory of God is here, or something to that effect. They'll jump out there and they'll try to play something. But they're not in the Spirit when they do it. That's one thing that's wrong with worship in the church today. Because too many people are convinced that it's about performance. And they're convinced that it's about skill. And that has nothing to do with the presence of God. Has nothing to do with the glory of God whatsoever. And so you get so many people that are thinking, oh, well, let's have a worship night. Well, if you're not in the Spirit to do it, if the Spirit hadn't prompted you to do it, you're wasting your time. Some of the individuals that I know that can bring the presence of God into a service more than anyone else that I've ever experienced, are not the most skilled in their playing or their singing. Because it's not a matter of what you can do with the keyboard. It's not a matter of what you can do with a guitar or an instrument or whatever. It's what's coming from your heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So when the glory of the Lord starts to appear, if I can get people praising God, if I can get them worshiping God, if they'll just accept what I'm saying, the glory of the Lord is here. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord some. If I can get them unified in that, then it'll get stronger. But this one Sunday morning, I didn't see anything anywhere. All of a sudden, I'm standing here at the platform, standing here behind this pulpit, and all of a sudden, I'm covered in the cloud. 
Now, I can't see anybody else. I'm in the middle of a white cloud. And I'm thinking, okay, well, the only time I've seen this before is when Jesus appears. So I start looking around for Jesus. But I didn't find him. He didn't appear to me like that. And so I'm thinking, I can hear the sound of my voice. But I'm thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? I can tell I'm continuing to talk, but I have no idea what I'm saying. Because I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, Jesus isn't telling me anything. Folks, I'm just like you. Unless God tells me something, I don't know what to do. So many times I see people looking at me. Pastor Mike, what are we going to do? Well, I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out just like you. If God doesn't show you, how do you know? So I can hear the sound of my voice. I can tell that I'm continuing to teach. I'm looking around. I, can, I can't see the, anything. I can see my Bible. That's the only thing that I could see. I couldn't see the rest of the, the pulpit. I couldn't see anything else. I looked out in the congregation. I assumed you're still here, but I couldn't tell. Oh, maybe this is the rapture. They left and I missed it. And all of a sudden, and I don't know, you know, you get in a situation like that and, and a few seconds seems like it's a few minutes. And so I really don't know how long anything was happening. But all of a sudden, it seems like my spirit began to lift up out of my body. Now, I know this sounds weird. I get this. And I get, you know, there are times when the glory of the Lord is here and, I, and I'll, I'll close my eyes and, and focus on the Lord. And then when I open them again, there's this brightness. And some people will say, yeah, well, that's just your eyes playing tricks on you. I understand that. I've asked myself and, and thought all those same things. I know. I get it. But it's happened so frequently, I know that that's not what it is. I'm not, play, I'm not susceptible to my mind playing tricks on me. I'm not trying to make something happen. So all of a sudden, and I don't know how to describe this, but it's like my, my, my spirit began to lift up out of my body. It's like I've got two sets of eyes. I've got one set of eyes that's looking about right here, and I've got one set of eyes that's looking right here. My normal eyes, my natural eyes are looking right here. I know what it sounds like. Don't give me that look. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I saw flashes of light at different places in the congregation. I couldn't see the people, but I could see flashes of light. Now, folks, I understand how God uses me. I've spent a lot of time talking to Him and, and trying to understand what my purpose is and how I operate. I understand that most people that come to hear what I have to say are not sinners in the sense that they're not unsaved. There, there are very few unsaved people that are attracted to our ministry at this point in time. Now, things like There are certain things that are going to change. The Lord has, has shown me that some of that is going to change, particularly where healing school is concerned and where, um, where information about healing is coming out and stuff like that. There will be more unsaved that come in. But it's a very rare thing for us to have very many unsaved people in the, in the room. But just as soon as I saw those flashes of light, then all of a sudden it's like my spirit came back. Now the cloud has gone. Well, I've been listening to myself talk, but I don't know what I've said. So I don't know how to hook up. What am I going to do? Say, back to the scripture. I, I, I don't know what I've been talking about. It wasn't for very long. It's just for a matter of a few minutes. But I don't know where to hook on to that. So I just said, well, let's bow our heads and pray. If you don't know what to do, just bow your heads and pray. We gave an altar call and 11 people came to get saved that morning. That was very unusual for us. We don't usually have 11 people in a month that come that are unsaved. And again, it's because most people that, that, that are attracted to the type of ministry that we have, the teaching ministry that we have, are not those that are unsaved or those that are saved that want to know more about the Word. 
I get that. I understand that. I get criticized a lot of times. Well, Pastor Mike, you don't even give an altar call every Sunday morning. It's very rare for us to have unsaved people in the church. What am I going to do? Try to get you saved again? That might be good for some. I used to struggle with that. Lord, we're not getting enough people saved. Lord asked me one day. He said, how many unsaved people do you think you had there? I don't know how many. He said, none. He said, you knew everybody in the room. I thought, well, for sure. But see, here's that religious notion we have, or that I had. Grew up in a church that just hammered people to get them into the altar. Berated them to get to the altar. Well, that's not the way God works. But that Sunday morning, we had 11 people that were saved. We had another four people that came along with them to get filled with the Holy Ghost. It's one of the biggest prayer rooms we've ever had. Well, I, I, I didn't, you know, I was really surprised that that many people came. But I realized that people started coming from where I saw those flashes. I realized that where I saw those flashes of light were where people started coming down to get saved, to give their heart to the Lord. And I thought, wow, isn't this cool? Now I'm an evangelist. Yeah, right. After the service, I had three different people in the room, sitting in different places in the room. And they said, Pastor Mike, this sounds kind of strange. Nearly every one of them said exact, almost exactly the same thing. They said something to this effect. They said, Pastor Mike, this was really kind of strange. But right there toward the end of the service, she said, they said, every time I looked up at you, I couldn't hardly see you. It was like something was shining off of you. Well, I hadn't told anybody anything. I didn't say anything. Did everybody see it? Well, apparently not. I only heard it from three people. But isn't that a coincidence? One might think. Now turn with me to, um, I know I'm out of time. I need to, uh, yeah, I'm out of time. Turn with me to uh, Zechariah chapter 10. We pointed this out, I believe, last Sunday morning. But I want you to see it again in this context. Because remember, where we started, it says the glory of the latter house, the last day church specifically is what it's talking about. The church in the last days. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace. In Zechariah chapter 10 verse 1 it says. Ask you of the Lord reign in the time of the latter reign. Well that has to be the last days isn't it? Now Hosea chapter 2 says. Of the reign it says. He speaking of the Lord shall come to us as the reign. As the early and the latter reign. So where it's talking about asking for the reign. It's talking about asking for a move of God. It's got to be talking about that. It's got to be talking about a move of God. Uh, James chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Well, we know what that's talking about. It's talking about Jesus coming back for the church, the rapture. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Uh, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. That means Jesus is not coming back until this latter rain thing that the Bible talks about is fulfilled. Well, we know the latter rain has got to be the Holy Ghost. It's a move of the Holy Ghost. So it's telling us there's a last day move of the Holy Ghost available for the church. I wonder if that's the glory of God that he's talking about in Haggai in chapter 2. I believe it is. I believe we can prove it. Zechariah 10.1, ask of the Lord reign in the time of the latter reign. So the Lord, here's what the Lord will do if we do that. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. That's got to be talking about God's glory. 
How many times does the Old Testament speak of the brightness of the Lord? How many times does it speak of the cloud in reference to the glory of God? So the Lord shall make bright clouds. Now the, the literal rendering is the word lightnings. So shall the Lord make lightnings. I believe that also means a display of power. I believe it means a manifestation of His glory. It could mean a number of things, but it's all tied to the glory of God. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain. Give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Now notice what he said. He said, if you pray for the move of the Holy Ghost in the last days, the last day move of the Holy Ghost, if you pray for it, it says God will cause it to shower rain on you. In other words, there'll be a move of the Holy Ghost that falls like rain. There'll be a display of His power. There'll be a manifestation of His glory. And it'll bring forth people into the kingdom of God. Look with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. That's what I believe... We had a little sprinkling of in that service about three years ago where I saw those flashes of light. But look at Acts chapter 10. We've got a scriptural reference for it. Acts chapter 10 tells us about a man named Cornelius. He was a Gentile. I'll beginning in verse 1. It says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius and a centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day. This is Luke relating this. So he said apparently it was about the ninth hour of the day. An angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Notice what God remembers. God remembers your praying and your giving. Some people better get busy. Your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you ought to do. Now why didn't the angel tell him how to get saved? He's unsaved. Cornelius is unsaved. He's a devout man. He must be worshiping God according to the Old Testament law. The law of Moses. That's all he knows. And God sees his heart. And so the angel appears and says, Now send it to a certain place. And Simon, this is Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. Peter will come down here and tell you what you ought to do. Why didn't the angel just say, Ah, oh, let me save you a trip. Here, let me tell you the story of Jesus. Because it's not the job of the angels. The Bible says people are saved through the foolishness of preaching. That's man's job. Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Everyone that believeth shall be saved, and everyone that believeth not shall be damned. So, at the same time, or close, soon thereafter, Peter has a vision. He goes on to the housetop, waiting for lunch to get ready, and he sees the vision of the, the, the sheet held by four corners, and, and the sheet has all kinds of animals, clean and unclean, and the voice of the Lord speaks and says, Rise, slay, and eat. And Peter says, Not so, Lord, nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. Peter, you are such a great guy, you've never broken the law of Moses. I mean, what did you even need Jesus for? You're such a good guy. Well, apparently he had kept the law of Moses according to the things that you're supposed to eat and the things you're not supposed to eat. These things happened three times. And each time Peter is saying, not so, Lord. Peter seems to have this habit of saying no to Jesus. Finally, 
when the vision ends, Peter's thinking on what these things mean. Um, let me read it the way that the, the Scripture says it. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Verse 18, and, and they called and asked whether Simon was surnamed Peter. These are the people from Cornelius' house. Asked if Peter was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, while Peter thought on the vision, he doesn't know what it means. He hadn't figured out what this is about. Folks, so many times people misinterpret things that they get from God. Peter has the opportunity to misinterpret what he's heard or what he's seen. Seen and heard, I guess. While he thought on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. In other words, it's the Holy Ghost saying, All right, Peter, you don't seem to get it yet. Just shut up and go with them. Quit asking questions. Quit doubting what this stuff is about and go with them. When he gets to Cornelius' house the next day, Cornelius and his household, it tells us that, that he's gathered people from everywhere. Verse 24, on the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And he said, As he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together and said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. The Gentiles, in other words. But God has showed me. In other words, between yesterday afternoon and the today, when he gets to Cornelius' house, Peter has finally figured out, wait a minute, this isn't about eating animals. This is about people. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. That's what the vision said yesterday. Peter said, no, not so, Lord. Nothing unclean has never crossed my lips. And the vision said, the Lord said three times in that vision, don't call common or unclean that which I have cleansed. Peter's thinking animals. He's thinking food to eat. The Lord's trying to show him the blood of Jesus cleansed all men, not just the Jews. Peter's finally figured that out. So he said, don't call anybody unclean that I have cleansed. I should not call any common or unclean. Therefore, I came unto you without gain, saying, as soon as I was sent for, I asked, therefore, what, for what intent have you sent me? Then Cornelius tells him about the vision. Peter preaches Jesus. We have this verse 38 that, that is so special to us where he tells about the ministry of Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Now notice verse 44, I think it is. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell. Everybody say fell. Notice it does not say Peter had an altar call. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell. On all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do they know? Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now what happens? The example that we have in the New Testament about the Holy Ghost falling, which is exactly what Zechariah 10 1 says will happen if we'll ask God for the rain in the last days. The example that we have in Acts chapter 10 is that people that were unsaved, and certainly because they were unsaved, they couldn't be filled with the Holy Ghost or weren't filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost falls, and they get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit right where they're sitting. Brother Hagin told a story about a, a little church that he was holding a meeting in. He wasn't even preaching. He wasn't the one doing the preaching. He was pastoring a, a little country church in, in uh, Texas. 
and uh, southwest Texas. And in this church, they had a, had a guest minister one morning. And this guest minister was, uh, was just preaching along. He said this guy was a storyteller. And he said he was telling the story about the prodigal son. Now, Brother Hagin would talk about this guy. And he said he could tell stories better than anybody you ever heard in your life. He said he was an uneducated man, didn't have much, uh, much schooling. But he said, man, Bible stories, he'd just hold you in the palm of his hand. He'd just tell about the, and he said, I'd heard him preach this story on the prodigal son before. He said he would imagine how it was like, you know, the father and his wife looking for the son, coming back every day and all this kind of stuff. What the father would, would feel like and, and what was happening with the son when he was feeding the pigs and all this kind of stuff. Just go into great detail about this. And he said he'd just draw you in, just suck you into the story. He said, well, he's talk, teaching, talking about uh, the prodigal son. And he said, all of a sudden, he said there was a light that flashed in the room. Now, he said there were only about 35, 38 people in the, in the congregation. Small church, small congregation. He said there was, there was a light that flashed in the room. And he said there was a real quick, real, just an instant sound of a rushing wind. <sighs> Didn't last but just a second. The light just flashed. He said, now we had lights in the, in the, uh, in the, the little school building that they were, uh, not school building, the little church building that they were in, a little frame church. He said, we had lights in there. He said, and it was, it was bright. It was toward the end of the service, so it was almost noon, you know, sunny day, bright sunny day. He said, but this light that flashed in the, in the, the, uh, the church, he said, this was like a, the, the brightest light bulb you ever saw. You know how it makes you blink for a second? If you look into a, a flash bulb, you know, uh, Professional photographer thing, you know, that they hold up and stuff. You know how sometimes it uh, uh, makes you, you know, blink just a second and kind of gives you spots before your eyes? He said it was just real quick. He said, but all of a sudden this light flashed and everybody heard this <laughs> sound of a wind came in there. And he said all of a sudden the altar was full with every, every unsaved, not every unsaved, but the altar was full with people that were unsaved. He said, now we had pews in that little church building. And he said it, would, it became the talk of the town. He said, because people were sitting on, a, on each side of these folks, and they began to ask, they began to question, why or how in the world did this person get out from where they were? There's no way they could have gotten across me, walked in front of me. Number one, they didn't have time. It happened too fast. And he said, how in the world could they have gotten by me without brushing up against my knee or, or bumping me in some way or another? The people on both sides of them. It became something that everybody wondered about. Well, that's what signs and wonders do. They make you wonder. I mean that seriously, folks. Don't think you're always going to be able to explain everything about God, what God does. There are some things that make you wonder. Now, not every unsaved person in the building was there, but most of them were. And then that became something people began to question. Well, why wasn't it everybody? Why wasn't it every unsaved person? How'd they get there? Everybody recognized it was supernatural. How did it happen? Brother Hagin said, I've never seen anything like it. He said, this guy didn't know what to do. I mean, he didn't even finish his story. <laughs> Apparently the same thing happened with Peter. Peter didn't even finish his preaching. I'm okay with God interrupting some of my services. How about you? Folks, I'm looking for God to do some great things in the last days. Now, what they experienced in that little church on that, uh, that one time, that one event, what they experienced was a manifestation of the glory of God. It had to be the brightness of the light. We see that Paul talked about, or, uh, yeah, Paul talked about the glory of that light that shined around about him on the road to Damascus. He said that was the glory of God. He said he couldn't see for three days for the glory of that light. He talks about it and calls it the glory of God. 
They heard a sound of a rushing mighty wind. Well, I've never heard a rushing mighty wind. But we see that happening in the book of Acts when the Holy Ghost was poured out. So we would have to assume that that's a manifestation of the Spirit of God, wouldn't we? What else would it be? The devil's certainly not transporting people down to get saved. How'd they get there? They didn't have time to get from where they were down to the front. People asked them afterwards, how'd you get down there? I have no idea. I have no recollection of coming down there. I just found myself at the front. Well, the Bible says Philip was translated from one place to another so he could preach the gospel to people. I I don't think God's lost the, the, the light. I don't think he forgot where he put the wind. I don't think he's run out of any translating power either. In fact, the Bible says the glory of the last day house, the latter day church, the last days of the church will be greater than what we saw in Solomon's day when he dedicated the temple, and that's when the glory cloud filled the church, uh, filled the temple, and they couldn't, the priests couldn't even get in. They couldn't even stand to minister. I'm looking for some really, really significant and supernatural and spectacular things to happen in the last days. And that's why I'm preaching on Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and thank God for his goodness. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. Lord, we get in our own patterns. We get used to the way things are normally done with us. And Father, we give that over to you. We give you free reign and course to do anything you want to do in any way you want to do it. Lord, I give you full and complete permission to interrupt my service any way and any, any, any manner you want to do it for the benefit of the people. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move in the last days. We ask you to move among us. We ask you for the rain, Father, even as you instructed us. You said that if we would ask for the rain in the time of the latter rain, you said you would make bright clouds. You'd manifest your glory. You'd manifest your power. You'd display your power. We ask you, Father, for signs and wonders and miracles in the last days. We ask you for healing miracles. We ask you for saving miracles. We ask you for miracles that cause people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Even as some of these things that we've referred to and some of the things that we see in the Word. But, oh, Father, we ask you to do a new thing in the last days. We ask you, Father, to manifest your glory. You said, Father, that if we asked you for the rain, you'd make bright clouds and you'd give us showers of rain. We ask specifically that the Holy Ghost would fall in the name of Jesus. That it would result... In the grass of the field or the precious fruit of the earth. It would result in people being born again. It would result in people being filled with the Holy Ghost. People being restored to fellowship. People being healed. People being delivered. Oh, Father. Turn our hearts. Turn our hearts. So that we are united in purpose. And saying the same thing. We declare. 
that the rain is falling on Foothill Family Church. We say that the rain is falling on Foothill Family Church. Not according to our will, Father, not according to our plan, but according to yours. Glorify the name of Jesus in this place, Father. Where we've had one supernatural thing to happen, Father, we pray that by the Spirit of God, by the falling of the Holy Ghost, a hundred would be manifest. Not to make a name for any person, not to make a name for even our church, but to magnify and glorify the name of Jesus. Now, Father, we're not selfish in praying these things because we want the rain to fall upon the whole earth. We know that every continent, every country, every people needs to hear of Jesus and needs to see the power of God in demonstration. But, Father, we're not willing to be left out of that either. We ask, Father, that you would move behind the bamboo curtain. You'd move in China to bring multitudes of people into the kingdom of God. We ask that you would move behind the in the Islamic nations of the world, that you would bring Muslims into the kingdom of God by the millions. We pray, Father, that you would bring Buddhists into the kingdom of God by the millions. We pray, Father, that the power of God would be displayed in such a manner that no one, no one, no one would be able to doubt that you are the Most High God, the Creator of heaven and earth, and the deliverer from all of our enemies. What they choose to do with that father is up to them. But make your glory known. We ask in the precious and holy name of Jesus. We further ask father that you would awaken the church. Awaken the church in America father. You've given so much. You've blessed this church. This country. These, your people, so much in America. Maybe you've made it too easy for us, Father. We pray that you would awaken the church. And, Father, whatever it takes to stir your people, to cause them to look to you and not their own denominations, not their own beliefs, not their own groups, not political party, but they would look to you and only to you as Lord and Savior. Awaken the church. Awaken the church through signs and wonders and miracles, Father. And if necessary, awaken the church through persecution. We know it's coming. We know it's the work of the enemy that's planned against us. Father, turn people's hearts as only you know how to do. We know persecution is not of you, Father. But we also know that persecution purifies us because we see your glory manifest. Strengthen us, Lord, so that we're able to stand strong no matter what the situation is, no matter what happens. Turn our eyes towards you and only you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. We pray in Jesus' precious name. That's our desire, Father. That's our heart. Make it so. Make it so, Father. Make it so. 
Lord, we worship you. We thank you for that which you have done among us and for us. But oh, Father, we thank you for the greater things that are yet to come. The greater things that are yet to come. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Ha <laughs> Increase that, Lord. Increase that. I see that. Make it more. Make it more in Jesus' name. Make it more in Jesus' name. so the glory begins the manifest presence of God enters but not for a show not to satisfy someone's curiosity but to bring blessing to many will you continue to pray will you turn your will to the will of the Lord Will you choose his way instead of your own? For then shall you see the glory of God manifest in a great and mighty way. United in purpose. United in thought. United in speech. It's up to us. We can have as much of God as we want to have. simply a matter of our heart Lord we choose we choose to make your will our will we choose to make your plan our plan we choose to make your purpose our purpose in Jesus precious name in Jesus precious name in Jesus precious name let your glory fill this place let your glory fill this place let your glory fill this place. Let's say that together. Let your glory fill this place. Let your glory fill this place. Let your glory fill this place. Well, it's here. It's here in a measure. There's a mist hanging right over your head. It's here in a measure. It's up to you. Lord, we worship you. We magnify your name. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We glorify your name, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus.
Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Say it one more time. Lord, let your glory fill this place. Amen. 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 Well, I hope you'll meditate on these things. I hope you'll let these things sink down in your heart. I hope you'll study what the Bible says about the glory of God. Because I know God wants to do a lot more than what's being done right now. We're too close to the end to play church. We need the glory of God. Amen? God bless you. Have a great day.